0: All right, everybody. I'm going to totally interrupt you. Start to wind down your, uh, your conversation really quick. We are so thankful that you made it out this morning. And we know this is different than what you're normally used to you bring me down? Thank you. Um, but we're just glad you're here. And um, a couple quick things before we get started. I'm going to just share for a little bit. So you've been chatting with each other. We're going to have a conversation here. You don't have to turn and look at me unless you feel awkward. <laughs> I'll all of a sudden appear behind you. No, I won't do that. But um, Hey, real quick, a shout out to a few people in the room. First of all, um, to Eric Yolkum and the Two Rivers crew for, yeah, Yeah. supplying everything. Um, We did all the hot food and brought it over, Um, and uh, just Mandy, where's Mandy? Andy, all your work. Sydney, yeah, so many people. Such a great time. A um, couple other things, um, normally the Arvada Center makes us buy their food, and so they were really generous letting us do this. And so I know they're not here to, um, to thank, uh, but when you see Amy walking around and, and others, I would, I would just um, just love on them a bit too. Hey, really quick, I'm just going to take a few minutes, like I said, and I'm going to chat with us a little bit about what it looks like to be a church around a table, John chapter 13, verse 1, starts out like this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus goes from being the host, the role of the host, to the role of the servant, instantly. Verse 12, when they had finished, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The idea behind this, even though the word isn't mentioned, is hospitality. This is a story about hospitality. No asphalt roads, all dirt roads, open-toed sandals, people walked everywhere got stinky messy sweaty showed up at a meal and here the host does the role of what the servant would have done the servant would have waited at the door for all the guests and washed their feet as they entered the house jesus gets up takes off his outer cloth cloak and does the work of a servant now there's the the story continues actually Three or four weeks later in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, Luke writes, "...they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts." They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It mentions in this passage, five verses, it mentions three different times that the people, that the church ate together. They actually made it a priority to break bread together, to eat together, to come together and to have a meal together. We talked last week about what f- table fellowship meant. This is that enacted. Okay? And this is all through the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament. Listen to Romans 16. It says, "Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Jesus Christ. They risked their lives for me, not only but I but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them." Greet also the church that meets in their house. Colossians 4, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. Philemon, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, And Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Right? He says, grace and peace to you. See, this is a through line all throughout the New Testament about what apprentices of Jesus do. Apprentices of Jesus eat and drink together. They gather together. And this is where it goes from a a, a few people in a room um, with Jesus at the Last Supper to becoming really a global movement. It started out around a table. You want to know how I know that? I'm going to just take us on a little journey through something totally boring. Architecture. Now, if you've... Study church, everybody's like, let's leave. We already ate. <laughs> if you've studied church history or if you know, if you've, anybody's traveled to uh, Europe or any of these places and you see these huge basilicas and cathedrals and all that kind of stuff, you need to understand that the church began in a home. It began in a home around a table. And there were zero church buildings at the early church. For the first few centuries, there were zero church buildings. Um, and now there's so much going on. Everything was done in the home. Everything was done around a table. And so the, the home was the, the gathering place. The table was the center. And then after Christianity is legalized into the fourth century, um, we begin to see Uh, all these temples of Zeus and all these different places become church-gathering spots, okay? And it becomes very Romanesque and Gothic and then Baroque, and then you see these cathedrals that are being built that if you look down from them from above, they're in the shape of a cross, right? Some of you guys have seen that. Um, And then you fast-forward to about the 16th century, right? So it goes from the home and the table's the center, okay, to, uh, it it goes to the cathedral and the altar is the center. Then it goes to about the 16th century where it was this colonial style, right? Colonial style, like this big box, like a big rectangular box. And the center of all those was the pulpit. And then uh, basically what the church was gathered around was the sermon, the preaching, right? And that was the most important. That's when you get all these like, Uh, famous preachers like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitefield and all these famous preachers. The the sermon was the center of the church, the pulpit. Now, it's the stage. The center of a church. You go into most churches, the center of the church is the stage. Now, I'm not making any moral judgments on it. Dan would. But (laughs) I'm not making any moral judgments on it. I'm just telling you it's changed, that architecture has changed. The church has also changed, okay? And, and the reason why I'm saying that is I think it's really important for us because each shift, with each shift, there are different things that we assume are normal with the life of a church, right? And, and, and to say, it says something about what we think, actually what it looks like to follow Jesus based on that. So in Scripture, in the New Testament, you have know this because we've talked about it, it's only three times the word Christian is mentioned. Only three times, and it's usually not very pretty. Mathetes is a Greek word for disciple or or apprentice, and that's actually mentioned 268 times. Another word is adelphoi, which is brothers or sisters, and that is mentioned 350 times, this idea of a family. In Mark chapter three, Uh, Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. In Luke 22, 19, he says, and it says, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them saying, this, okay, this meal, right, not cracker and juice, they're in the middle of a meal, this meal is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And so here's the thing, what we call the church, by definition, okay, isn't an architectural structure, it's actually apprentices of Jesus living as a family. It's a church around a table. That's what it's about. You guys, uh, and, and usually, what we don't understand sometimes is, you remember Corinthians, we were in that long, arduous series that took almost a year in the, first, in the book of Corinthians. And we get to this part and they talk about when you gather, Paul's saying when you gather and eat, um, what he's referring to is most churches in the Greco-Roman world were actually on Sunday night. It was the first, ga- first day of the week in Roman society. Sunday night, it was actually a work week. And so when people gathered... They actually gathered around dinner. They gathered around a meal. And it's really important that we understand this because there's actually a name for it. It was called the Love Feast, which sounds really 60s. Really kind of San Francisco, 60s, Haight-Ashbury. But here's the thing. It was called the Agape Feast. And what it was was something so beautiful and so powerful. Listen to this. This is Tertullian. He's a bishop and second century theologian. He says this Our feasts explain itself by its name. The Greeks call it agape. Whatever it costs, our outlay in the name of piety is gain. Since with the good things of the feasts, we benefit the needy. Right? It was for everybody. As with God himself, a particular respect is shown to the lowly. The participants before reclining, because you would recline at the table, so if anybody would like to do that, that's fine, awkward, but you can do it. Before reclining at the table, taste first the prayer to God. As much is eaten, as satisfied the cravings of hunger, as much is drunk, as is befits the chaste. So take it easy, drinkers after each is asked after each is asked to stand forth and sing as he can as he can a hymn to god either one from the holy scriptures or one from his own composing as the feast commended with prayer so with prayer it is closed so how that's how simple it was it was prayer it was eating together it was singing in fact everybody was supposed to come ready to sing a song so we're going to do that Right now, at your table, I want everybody to nominate, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I nominate Troy, I know. Um, (laughs) That'd be good, wouldn't it? So instead of doing that tonight, we're actually, at the end, we're going to do a few toasts. Is that okay? All right. So they would, they would gather, and it was just really simple. And we learn in Corinthians there was time for some uh, prayer over people and, and some prophetic stuff with people, and there was some really powerful stuff going on, but it was very simple, and it was around a meal. And so the point is, is that fast forward to our day and age, what do we call our gatherings? Services, right? It's pretty interesting, right? It's like the pastor provides you like with goods and services and then you get to walk away going I don't know if I liked it or not you know is it okay it's like a movie right you could rate it and and that's kind of what we have now central to our following Jesus is actually eating and drinking with others who also follow Jesus that's how we encourage each other that's how we motivate each other. That's how we care for each other. That's how we're a part of each other's life. It's a very simple idea. But like most things, the most simple ideas are the ones that change your life the most. It's a very simple idea. And it's a practice that we desperately need to recapture. See, we spend money as churches now on buildings and on the show, and we've lost sight of this practice of eating and drinking with each other, of knowing each other, of caring for each other, of encouraging each other. Communion is a Latin word. The first part, cum, means together. The last part, panis, means bread. And so together around a table. A guy named Leonard Sweet wrote a great book called From Table to Tablet. And here, listen to this quote. He says, an untabled faith, meaning a faith that's not around the table with other people, an untabled faith is, listen, an unstable faith. A neglect of the table in our churches is echoed in families and communities. He's making the point that if you don't gather with people around a table who are trying to follow Jesus and apprentice Jesus and failing and, and succeeding and all these different things, if you don't gather around a table with people regularly, your faith could be very unstable. Uh, we've been kind of beta testing this a little bit in our lives. Angela and I, we have a group on Thursday nights, and we started with the Immerse Gathering and then we decided, hey, we gotta keep this thing going. And so we gather around food on Thursday nights. And then we're just talking and, and talking about life and catching up with each other. And, and yeah, there's more that we could do and, and add and incorporate, but it's becoming something very rich in our lives as well as I think everybody else's. Neuroscientists are coming to find out, and don't worry kids, I'm almost done. If you don't know what a neuroscientist is, ask your dad. Neuroscientists are learning that the most happy people in the world, they're actually, they're actually scientifically testing people at their most happiest times, and their most happiest times are when they're around the table with family and friends. Not on a cruise ship, not, you know, doing their favorite hobby or activity by themselves, but when they're around the table with family and friends, neuroscientists say that's the happiest place for people. I read an article in The Atlantic, came out about a year ago. Um, It talked about the stats of eating together, that most families don't even eat together. They say most families eat more meals in the car than they do together around the table. They actually put out stats of childhood obesity and kids who do well in school, and they're the ones that actually have more time around the table with mom and dad or with mom, or with dad, or with extended family. 17% of American families regularly sit down for a meal. Over half do it while watching TV. 60 years ago, the average family meal was 90 minutes. Now it's 12. Because that phone's a-calling, you know? So, over the last decade, sociologists believe that there's been a 45% decline in hospitality in the U.S. That means open home, open, you know, people on their front porch waving to neighbors, come on over, let's hang out, you know, that kind of hospitality. Mother Teresa says, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. So, what we're talking about here is not just a church thing, it's a society thing. And before you go, hey... The church is the hope of the world. The church could be the solution to this. Before you say that, understand what church has become. Church has become me coming in, not knowing anybody, popping out quick. I get it, introverts, I get it. Um, it's, it's about kind of fitting it into your schedule and fitting it into your life. Um, we're all about that. We have... The consumeristic inertia flowing through us. But before we boast, the church is the solution. We got to remember, when we say this all the time: Jesus meets you right where you're at. Say it all the time, right? And that's a really cool thing. That's a Jesus meets us right in my pain, right in my mess, right in my brokenness, and and he forgives me, and he loves me, and he pulls me in, and all those things. It's great. But He also says, let's walk together. And the problem is, is I think a lot of us, the flip side is, is that Jesus meets us right where we're at, but are we willing to meet each other right where we're at? And we come into, you know, events and church gatherings and hopefully gather around the table, and you know what we do? We drag our loneliness, we drag our family of origin, we drag our story, we drag our frustrations with us. That whole bags fly free thing. Everything comes with you. And the beauty of about a church around the table is the church around this table understands two things. Salvation and healing are the exact same word in the New Testament. So when it says Jesus healed the leper and Jesus healed the man born whatever, It's the same word as salvation. It's the same exact word. And so what would it look like if we took this seriously? If like, I can't think of a better practice as a community than practicing around a table. Like making some intentional steps in our life to gather as a church around a table. A meal. Now, it may not be practical to do this every week, right? But it is practical to eat with people every week. And it, it sounds like a real sappy idea. But that's what really love and hospitality are all about. Love and hospitality are actually about, it's a, it's a fundamental disposition of the heart. For many of us, that has to be practiced and changed. It's the most tangible expression of loving one another. I mentioned an author last week, Rosaria Butterfield. Some of you already run out and picked up her book, and I'm really pumped, because it'll mess you up. If you want to take this a little further, please. She says, God calls Christians to practice hospitality in order to build loving Christian communities, to build nightly table fellowship. She didn't say weekly, she said nightly table fellowship with fellow image bearers to ease the pain of orphanhood, widowhood, and prison. The gospel calls, the gospel call that renders strangers into neighbors into the family of God is a pretty straight up Is pretty straight up when you read the Bible, especially the book of Acts. And it requires both hosts and guests, not just one or the other, as giving and receiving are good and sacred and connect people and communities in important ways. So what she's saying is it has to start in the church if it's going to spread out. Like we have to practice this. Like We have to find ways in our schedules, in our budgets, in our lives to include each other around the table. And I would say for a couple of us, some things need to change for us is maybe you practice this once as a family. Maybe this starts as a family. Um, Maybe you're single and you're like, well, how do I practice this? Do I just invite myself over to someone's house? You know, band together with others and practice it. Um, imagine. So, one of the, what I want to do here is like I want you to reimagine what it looks like to be the church. Like, if you were to draw a picture of our church, my hope is is that in months and years from now, you could draw a picture, literally, of people eating around a table, not whatever this is in here from week to week but it's about your friends and your family and the people in your lives that you are doing life with and you are eating and drinking around a table and you are encouraging each other. What needs to change for us as a community? What does it look like to face each other's orphanhood and widowhood and loneliness all around us, inside of us? What does it it look like for you to become a welcomer, a pursuer, What would it look like for you to share a meal this week with people? What would it look like for you to make some plans with people before you leave this room? To eat together. I know, this is crazy stuff. You thought you were just going to get out of here with a little message and a donut, but not today. Right? What would it look like? What would it look like for you to practice this? To hear each other's story Two different competing phrases. One from our Latin American brothers and sisters, mi casa, su casa, right? Mi casa, su casa. And then from us Americans, right? Man's castle is his home. This idea that a man's home is his castle Mikasa, Sukasa. Which one do you think is a little bit more Jesus y? Yeah. Sharing a meal together. And now here's the thing I'm, I'm not telling you this is easy. You're going to swim upstream on this one with the people in your lives. I want to encourage you if you're a family, invite people, people, invite single people to your house. They don't have to have kids to play with your kids. Single people, I know you want to be a part of families. I know you want to, Angela and I uh, used to open our house up to, to people to live in the basement. Brandy was one of them um, years back. And Brandy would come upstairs and throw Keelan around. and you know, Like, it was just great. Seriously, she'd mess him up. Some serious Mario Party battles and a whole bunch of stuff. But just invite people into your kids' lives. If you think <laughs> your kids are going to turn out great, because you just keep them isolated from other people in the world and just hope that, uh, just, just cross your fingers and hope, you know? You need to have people in their lives, other adults in their lives, that love them, that encourage them, that dream with them. This is what this is also all about. Families, uh, I don't know if, you're, if, you're, if you're empty nesters, invite some people with kids into your house, that'll freak you out. You know, like, like, what would it look like to do this? Last quote, final thing, and then we're gonna go to communion. Just checking my time. This guy named Jean Venier. He started this thing called La Arche. And uh, it's just a really powerful community for people who are disabled. And he wrote this. In years to come, this is very Prophetic. In years to come, we are going to need many small communities which will welcome lost and lonely people, offering them a new form of family and a sense of belonging. In the past, Christians who wanted to follow Jesus Open hospitals and schools. This is very true. If you look in the Middle Ages, the hospitalar nights and all that kind of stuff, we started hospitals, Christian people started schools. He says, now there are so many of these Christians, Christians must commit themselves to new communities of welcome, to live with people who have no other family and to show them that they are loved and can grow to greater freedom and that they, in turn, can love and give life to others. That's what this is all about, okay? So I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite Dan up. He's gonna lead us into communion. And um, we'll go from there.